Ezekiel 47. And we're going to do three weeks on just vision of our church, purpose of our church as Christians, as a body of believers. We're going to step out of Romans for a little bit here just to touch base on those things. So Ezekiel 47, it says this. It says, The man brought me, the man being an angel of the Lord, me being Ezekiel, brought me back to the entrance of the temple. I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, where the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar, he then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside of the outer gate facing east. And the water was flowing from the south side. As the man went eastward, with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist he measured off another thousand, but now it was a river I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. And he asked me, Son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. And he said to me, This water flows towards the eastern region and goes down toward the Ureba where it enters the sea. When it empties into the sea, that's, this is the Dead Sea he's referring to, the water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to Engleim, and there will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish, the fish of the great sea, referring to the Mediterranean. But the swamps and the marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt, which is for worship uh, in the temple. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both sides of both banks of the rivers. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. If you're new to our church, our name Freshwater comes from this passage. And the water is a metaphor for the presence of God, the, the miraculous transforming power of his presence. And it fills the temple when he's being worshiped and it pours out of the temple through the desert into the Dead Sea uh, bringing life, food, healing, everything. And, and it's a metaphor for not only Israel, but for us, because we are the temple of, of Christ now as Christians. And the presence of God fills up us and flows out of us into this world and into the lives of people who are dead or, or dying of thirst, spiritual thirst, as it were. And as a church, we're always evaluating this vision and as a leadership, is the presence of God among us? Is the presence of God flowing in us, and is it flowing out of us? Are we seeing 
that transforming presence in our lives as a body and as it touches this world around us? We're constantly asking that question. Not do we have enough programs or do we have enough money or, or, or do we have the latest and greatest whatever? It, the question is, is the presence of God in us and flowing out of us and are we hearing and seeing stories of transformation? Stories that only God can do. This past summer, I went uh, to New York with my family. We went on a vacation, stayed right on Times Square Church, and we saw all the sights. We did the Statue of Liberty. We did uh, the World One or, or One World Trade Center, saw the memorial, Museum of Natural History. Um, we didn't see Sacagawea there, which was really disappointing. Yeah, night at the museum, guys, fans, um, nothing like that. We kept looking. Um, Dum Dum is there. We saw the statue of Dum Dum, so... Um, sorry, if you haven't seen that movie, you, you, you may need to see that. But uh, did that. Um, what else? We went to the, you know, uh, the park there, grand, you know, the big park, whatever that's called. Um, sure, we walked it, did it. Um, did Grand Chinsel Station. That's what I had in my park, so Central Park, right? Um, did everything. Walked, walked, walked. Did the boat. Did the, did the bus. Shameless tourism. That's us. We did it all. Uh, the favorite place we ate, John's Pizzeria. Um, anybody heard of John's Pizzeria? Oh, this is going to be good. This is going to be good. Uh, John's Pizzeria, actually voted by our kids the best place to eat. We ate there twice. The pizza was so good. John's Pizzeria, though, has a story behind it. And I ate there 20 years ago, something like that. Is, is it when the last time we went there? Um, and... Uh, it, it didn't have the effect on me 20 years ago like it did this time, and it wasn't because of the food. Um, John's Pizzeria is actually an old church, and uh, you can go in there, and you, you can look all the way up, and you got the stained glass window way up high, and, and you got stained glass windows that are still, still there in the walls because it's, a, it's a, a historic site. So laws of Manhattan is you can't mess with the building structure if it's a historical site. So the pizzeria is done all their stuff but hasn't changed the structure or or whatever and um we actually got to sit in the balcony of of this old church and eat pizza and uh you know it it hit me it it was just um it was it was different this time most likely because i've been in ministry for 20 years and i've been actually in ministry with the christian missionary alliance and that church is the founding church of the Christian Missionary Alliance. A.B. Simpson preached in that church. That church, I mean, you look at it, you got pictures of it? Yeah. That church, I think it sat like uh, five or 600 people, and they would be packed for multiple services for years, years under A.B. Simpson's leadership. And that's the church that he started, and he built it there in Manhattan because there were so many immigrants there, and he left established churches because they didn't want to bring in immigrants. They didn't want to mess up what they had. And he's like, look, I don't know what you guys all think, but I know what the Word says, and the Word says we have to reach the lost. And they're coming by the droves, and we're not doing anything about it. God's presence was in this church. There's stories about what God did here and who he sent off around the world. The place was packed in the day. 
You want to talk about the presence of God, Ezekiel 47, that church was filled with the presence of God. And then we're eating there on the balcony, and all it's filled with is, well, the smell of pizza. The room's filled with people not looking for God, but looking for food. And I'm just, I'm, I, the whole time, you know, the month, I've just thought about what happened. What happened to that church? Like, that used to be the place where God was moving, and it was known within the CMA. Like, that church, God is there. And then somewhere in 1971, the church was abandoned. Just people walked away from it. I don't know what happened to that church, but it's a story that's similar to Ezekiel in the sense that the presence of the Lord left. Now, God doesn't dwell in a building like he did with Israel and the temple. God dwells in us, and yet God is here this morning showing himself, manifesting his presence, that peace, that sense of holiness, that sense of awe and greatness. That's the presence of the Lord we sense. And what happened with Ezekiel was interesting. He's born in 1620, or 1620, (laughs) 620 B.C., rather, 1620. Um, When he was born, Israel was dead spiritually. In fact, it had been going on for about 200 years, something like that. You could, some would say 300, but it was 200 years. And, and what had happened was Israel, over those 200, 250 years, they slowly drifted from God. And they became really a shell of a nation. The, the nation had a civil war and split. And so the northern nation w- was actually overrun years earlier than the southern nation. And Ezekiel's this prophet to the southern nation, uh, you know, it's called Judah. We'll just call it Israel. And, and he's calling them back, but they too finally drifted away from the Lord. And, and the southern nation had Jerusalem and had the temple. And, and so they held on longer, but they were at the place where... They didn't take God seriously. They didn't take the claims on their life that he had seriously. And God was giving not only Ezekiel, but a number of prophets who ministered at the same time, the same message, trying to warn Israel. And, and, and it, this is what Ezekiel would say, and he kept saying over and over again. You'll see them up on the screen. One, says, one verse says, Ezekiel 22 says, You've despised my holy things. This is God talking to Israel. And you've profaned my Sabbaths. Goes on, he says, As for you, O house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, Go serve every one of you his idols. Now and hereafter, I will not, if you will not listen to me, oh, sorry, I'm just reading this all wrong, the inflection wrong. As for you, O house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, Go serve every one of you his idols. Now and hereafter, if you will not listen to me. But my holy name you shall no more profane with your gifts and your idols. It goes on another verse. God says, Her priests have done violence to my law, have profaned my holy things. They've made no distinction between the holy and the common. Neither have they taught the difference between unclean and, and the clean. And they've disregarded my Sabbath so that I am profaned among them. He says again, And my holy name I will make known in the midst of my people Israel. I will not let my holy name be profaned any more. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. 
There is this theme about God's holiness. As you read through Ezekiel, they profaned his name, completely blew off everything, his commandments. And they ignored God. And in chapter 10, there's this really disruptive, uh, disturbing scene. Ezekiel lived to see this, and he describes the presence of God leaving Israel. Chapter 10 is all about it. And it's God and these cherubim, cherubim, which are these heavenly creatures, escorting the presence of God out of the temple and away from Israel. Soon after God's glory and presence left, war came, Babylon swoops in, Israel is destroyed, Ezekiel saw his, his own people killed, saw Israel defeated, the temple destroyed. Ezekiel himself was deported to Babylon. He went around 586 B.C., and he never actually came home. And if you read through Ezekiel, this book, it, really what God says through the first 36 chapters is you, you don't take serious this connection to me, who I am and how important it is to be connected to me and listen to me. You don't take it serious. How we treat him matters. Or he's saying how you treat me matters. And this word holy is a big deal in Ezekiel. He says, you profaned me. Holiness is a, a, is a huge word. It means to be sacred, to be set apart. It means to be distinct, other. And sometimes, we, it, sometimes it applies to the moral realm, and it does apply to that, but it's so much bigger than just moral holiness. This idea of holiness is God is so completely distinct and other in every way, in every shape and form. So much more. So completely other. You could use holiness to describe every aspect of God. His righteousness is holy. His power is holy because it's completely distinct above. His presence, his love is holy. His right, you could just go right down the list because holiness means that as well. He takes how his people treat him seriously. How his people view him matters. He's holy. You profaned me, he says, over and over and over again. I think often God's holiness can get lost as we, especially in our culture, seek to connect to our God who is close. The, the word is imminent, near us. And so our God is a father. Our God is our friend. Our God, Jesus says, is my, my brother. Uh, Jesus says, uh, I'm your shepherd, savior. Uh, Holy Spirit's called our comforter. And so what can happen is we get so familiar with how God connects to us in that intimate way, we begin to shrug off and disregard the holiness of the Lord. And we begin to just say, well, his demands, that, you know, those commands, eh, 
And we can kind of blow them off. Uh, kind of disobey them like we do our parents. Whether we're young right now or whether we were, when we were young, we did this. You know, for instance, God says, Israel, you guys ignored the Sabbath. A day to rest. I mean, the Sabbath is Ezekiel, or not Ezekiel, it's found in Exodus chapter 20. This is the Sabbath, right? It's the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter, nor your manservant nor your maidservant nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. He accuses Israel saying, you guys don't you guys don't follow the Sabbath anymore. You don't care about the Sabbath. The Sabbath, he says, remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Six days shall you labor. Do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to who? To the Lord. Now, I'm sure you're sitting there going, man, I'm so glad I'm here today. Um, They saw this command. It's so interesting. He, he pulls this out, a repeated theme, over and over and over again, that this was actually really important to their spiritual health. It's the fourth commandment. I've heard people say, well, we're not under law anymore, and I don't know what this all means. Uh, so that means we don't have to kill people, or we can kill people now, maybe, Oh, we don't have to honor mom and dad because we're not under the law anymore. Oh, we can covet now because we're not under the law anymore. We can commit adultery. We can steal. We can, give, we can lie or give false testimony. Right? We can do all those things. We can go take God's name because we're not under law. Like what commandment stopped when Jesus came? None of them. It's, has it ever, like I was reading this and it just kind of dawned on me like it's the fourth commandment. He said this one before he said the next six. Kind of a big deal, apparently. He says, hey, look, you, you, guys, you guys have given up this whole idea of not only taking the Sabbath resting, but coming and doing it to me. Like, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy for me. And when you read through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, well, not Numbers so much, but Deuteronomy, and then you read through church history, you'll see that when they took the Sabbath, God said, look, this is what I want you to do on the Sabbath. I want you to get together. You're going to worship me. Here's the plan. You're not going to work. You're going to rest. And as part of that day, you're going to gather corporately, and you're going to worship me. You're going to come, and you're going to sing songs about how holy I am and how great I am. And it's going to be the best thing you ever do. And that's what Israel did. 
There, there's no plan in the word where it says, okay, now here's what I want you to do. I want you on that Sabbath day to go be by yourself, isolate yourself because you don't need the church or you don't need the body. You don't need the nation. You just do this on your own. The, the word talks about when we worship on the Sabbath, we do it together because there's something about you standing next to somebody else saying how great is our God. And there's something about somebody else standing next to you singing, how great is our God? And you go, you believe that too? Like you're in? Right? And there's something about doing that weekly. You know, it's, I think what can happen too as we look at this call is that the primary reason we get together to worship is to worship God, and yet somehow it gets inverted, and we think the primary reason we get to worship is for somebody to meet my needs. I do that. Go visit a church. Ugh, that was bad. Ugh, wouldn't have done that. Or, oh, we got to stop doing that. Right? Oh, why didn't they, why did they... You know you're here to just worship God? Like that is your sole reason, this call. Now what happens in the middle of that is God does this great thing where his presence comes and Ezekiel paints the picture where his presence comes and brings this transformation. And can we come and say, Lord, I need you to meet your need, my needs? Yes, and is that a good motivation to have to come to God? Yes, it is. There's a balance in there. You know, his glory is so tremendous. That holiness, uh, uh, the holiness of the Lord is something so big. It's, it's talked about, uh, and the glory that, that's around his presence talked about is weight. It's heavy. When people got into the presence of the Lord, they would literally fall. And it wouldn't like, they, would, they wouldn't get down. They would just fall when God's presence came. Getting down's easy. I mean, you, you can, well, it can be, <laughs> learned over time. Falling down, well, falling down happens when you just get in the presence of God and it's so heavy, you literally just fall. You didn't plan on it. You're just on the ground. That's how holy he is. How often do you come on a Sunday morning to worship God? You know, we've been talking about this as a staff. We've talked to other churches, and, and there's this trend um, that's out there that we're seeing as part of our culture where regular attendance now is one Sunday a month, maybe two, for somebody who calls himself a Christ follower. One week, two weeks. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Six days should you labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath. I think culturally we suffer from a lack of understanding about the holiness of God. If we're coming one Sunday a month or two Sundays a month, he's not the priority and he's really not that holy. He's just not. I'm not talking to shut-ins. I'm not talking to people who work third shift. 
because I know we have those in our church, and I know so many of you have tried to get off third shift, and you're working that, and some of you are even here this morning, I know. And you're, you're providing for your family. You're grateful for the job. I get that. It's all the, us, it's all the rest of us. And what God says about people who are doing this, he says, look, you're profaning my name. You've actually created me in your image. You've, you've created me to be someone that's just familiar with that you can just say no to. And you can actually plan your calendar and plan me out of it because of what you're doing in your life is more holy than me as your holy God. And that's just what God says. It's just right here. And then we wonder why God's presence isn't flowing in our lives and why churches become pizzerias. I know you may, this may sound harsh, but in the 70s, I don't know why New York, gospel tab- New York City Gospel Tabernacle shut its doors, but they abandoned that church, and the presence of God had left somewhere along the line. And, and you may say, that's harsh. I'm not saying it's, it's not harsh, because why is it that only two blocks down, God brings this guy, David Wilkerson, into New York City, starts Times Square Church, which is this anointed church with the power of God, and it explodes loads on the scenes at the same time this church is shutting down just literally like five minutes down the street so oh, so god stopped works there but he's working over here what happened like why isn't that why does that happen so there's something there there's something that has happened in the life of a church where all of a sudden there's no power there there's no transformation what's going on and i i don't know all the reasons that church closed. I just look at it. I, I walked away from that, and I've just thought, not on my watch. Not on my watch. We're not going to close these doors or settle for something that's less than the holiness of God and his demands on our life. No way. I don't want to do that. I just don't. I know so many of you don't want to do it either. I just, I think it's unacceptable. How do, how do we just plan them out and say these things are more holy than him? He's holy. Everything revolves around him. Our dreams for our kids are not more holy than him. He's the one who gives the dreams. We get these idols over here. You know, our church, we're, we're, we're driven and, and we feel this call to reach young families in, at Wadsworth and the surrounding communities. Why? Because we're surrounded by young families. If you reach the young families, you'll, reach, you'll get everybody. And so we're reaching that. But the problem is there is such an idol for children. Children are more holy than God. And yet, guess what? We sent... What, I don't know how many students, 100 students, 100 people, 80 students up, shout out, missed you guys last week. You were up at Beulah Beach, all, all the youth, the students and the leaders. They were up there, and guess what they were doing? And I love this because we've got a youth pastor It's all about it. He's saying, hey, look, you need to get out. And, and, and Lynn, what he did, I just love it. He says, I'm not going to talk. We're not going to talk this whole time. You need to go hear from God. And there's stories of students coming back saying, I heard from God. Like for the first time. 
So they're not just playing games up there. We're not, and you aren't endorsing this path where we just hire people to, to plan events. No, you've hired people that are dangerous because we want the holiness and the presence of God in our lives. We want it in our students. We want it in our kids. We want it in our families. <laughs> this is so funny. You're going to smell pizza if you're part of the second service because we're having pizza after the service. So <laughs> that just struck me. But we're not becoming a pizzeria. We'll buy it, but we're not going to. I just don't ever want to be a church where I was there when I saw the glory and the holiness and the presence of the Lord leave it. I just, I don't want to be a part of that. Sitting in the balcony eating pizza, and I'm looking up, and I'm seeing stained glass, and it's got the Christian message in the stained glass. Over crying out loud. And I don't care about buildings. It's just this message that just keeps. You can get online and see, and it's one of the coolest reclaimed churches in Manhattan. I'm like, oh, for crying out loud. I'll reclaim something. one of the reasons why we've been advertising haven't talked about it but we've been advertising for the holy spirit weekend that's coming up here in october it's a friday night and it's about six hours on a saturday and then sunday morning we just have our, our service as well what first or second service whatever one people come to the holy spirit weekend we had about 10 years ago and, and what is it about it, it is it is effectively, we want people to come and understand and run towards the Holy Spirit, God, the Spirit, and understand his, his ministry, his role in our lives. Ten, year ago, ten years ago, we, we had this, and we felt as a leadership that we needed to do this and, and to break whatever vows of safety, whatever vows of control this church had made back in the 70s, shutting down. You know, people would try to raise their hands. You can't do that, and they would stop it. You can't do this gift and stop it. And we said, no more, no more. We want the full ministry of the Holy Spirit. And God came. And, and you know, was it wild and crazy? You know, it wasn't Toronto blessing, you know, and we're not going there. Don't worry about it. And if you don't know what the Toronto blessing is, don't worry about it. Don't even Google it. I shouldn't even have said it. Um, Sorry, Sean, you're over there like getting hives, so am I. Um, what we want to see is the presence of God pouring out. And so there will be a calling towards God, purify me. God, come and make me holy as you are holy. And then out of that, Ezekiel 47 happens. The presence of God fills his people. And look out. And we saw healings, deliverance, transformation, freedom throughout our church. And not just for that event, but it became just who we were and who we are. And that's why we're doing it again. And do we, do we need this to do it? No. But we realize after 10 years, a lot of people are unfamiliar. And so let's do it. And so let me just say it this way. If, if you are a member of this church, I'm going to be very direct, you need to be there. If you call this church home and you're not a member, we'll talk about that later, you need to be there. 
If you're visiting, come, and, come along. Come and check it out. And I'm being forceful, and, and the reason I'm being forceful is this, is because you guys have nobody to blame but yourselves. You, you hired Jake and took this worship ministry off me. And God hit a home run on that one. I didn't say you. We all, through God's direction. Through God's direction, you said yes to the elders and the budget last year hired Bob, who took all the administrative mess I'd created, and he straightened it out. He's like this Jedi. He is Yoda of administration. I have more time than I've ever had in the 16 years I've been at this church to pray and to think. It's your fault. (laughs) And that's why I'm saying you need to be there. You need to be there. We're not going to be a pizzeria. It's never where we're going to be. We're going to be a place filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to be a people who take the things of God seriously, and we're going to say he's holy. Amen? Invite the team to come up. I just want you to spend some time, you and God, and say, Lord, yeah, this is me. This song is a song that just says, Lord, and if this is true of you, it's a song of confession, a song of repentance. And if there are things that you're saying, Lord, I know, I, I know there are things that are more holy to me, more distinct and separate, more other and more precious and more than you, this is the time to say, Lord, I'm sorry. You are holy. You are holy.